Our scripture lesson this evening is taken first from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 16 through 25, page 1022. In the Pew Bible, page 1022, Daniel 3, 16. I'm picking up here in the middle of a story, but I think that most of you, including the children, know the story well, so you don't need me to fill you in on what has happened already, but uh, I'm sure it will come to mind as I read these verses. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that if we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And then from the New Testament, we read from Peter's first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4, page 1394, page 1394, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, and reading to the end of the chapter. 1 Peter 4:12 Beloved do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange some strange thing happened to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of the sufferings of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you also be glad with exceeding you may also be glad with exceeding joy If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. 
Well, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. Thus far, the reading of God's word may add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, it is our privilege to consider the word of God as summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism. And I direct your attention to page 63, Lord's Day 52, in the back of the Psalter hymnal. Page 63, Lord's Day 52. What does the sixth request mean? And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil means. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us. And make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat in the spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally, we finally win the complete victory. And what does your conclusion to this prayer mean? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It means we have made all these requests of you, because as our all-powerful King, you not only want to, but are able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. Thus far. Beloved of the Lord, last Sunday evening we considered the need to forgive as we have been forgiven so that we might have the assurance that our sins are forgiven. But when we have that assurance, when we have that assurance that our sins are forgiven, we are not yet done with sin. The last petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to fight against the presence of sin and evil in our lives, even though we have already escaped all punishment. It is a petition that grows out of our love and gratitude, not out of fear of punishment. There is now, punishment is no longer an issue. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praying this petition is an expression of our new desire to fight evil for its own sake, because it's evil, and not only because it's evil, but especially because the presence of sin in our lives grieves the God who loves us and cares for us. Now, at the outset, I, I want to say a word about the critics of Scripture who are quick to try to find conflicts in Scripture and so discredit Scripture. And here, too, there are critics who would say that the Apostle James in his epistle and Jesus conflict with each other. 
Because James says in James chapter 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Let no one say he is tempted by God, because God tempts no one. And yet Jesus says, lead us, you should pray to God, lead us not into temptation. Well, which is it? Does God tempt us or does he not tempt us? They say we have a contradiction here, and so we can throw the whole book away because uh, it doesn't make sense. It's full of internal conflicts. Well, be assured that this is not a conflict, not, uh, uh, not even close. Take note that Jesus does not tell us to pray to our Father in heaven, Father, don't tempt us. What we are called to pray is lead us not into temptation. There's a difference between being led into temptation and being tempted. God often does lead us into circumstances which Satan attempts to use for our downfall. God leads us into tests and trials which can become occasions for sin. But they can also become Occasions whereby God's grace we gain the victory over sin and bring praise and honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'll come back to this later and give you some examples of God leading people into situations where they can experience the victory of God and bring praise to the Lord Jesus Christ or if they neglect their duty, uh, fall into sin because not God tempts them, but Satan tempts them, the world tempts them, or their own evil nature leads them into sin. But I want you to keep that distinction before your mind, that being led into circumstances where our faith is put to the test is different than being enticed to do evil. It's different than being tempted to sin. Now, the first thing that we need to understand with regard to uh, this whole matter is that our life is full of tests and trials. Our life is full of, of situations where God puts our faith to the test, where he tries us, where, in the words of Psalm 66, he lays burdens on our backs and he refines us like silver. We read of it early in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. That concerns, of course, uh, Mount Moriah and the offering of his son uh, as a sacrifice. And the author of Hebrews, speaking of the same situation, says in Hebrews 11, verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. And of course what he's thinking of there is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they underwent a fiery trial. Isaiah also says, when you pass through the fire, you will not be consumed. 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's just the opposite. It's common. It's, it's one of the things that happens again and again in our lives. Now, some of these trials can be really big, really consequential, really painful. They can be life and death situations like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced where it was commit idolatry or die. Commit idolatry or die. You know, Uh, there are times like that in our lives where our faith is put on the line and People, maybe their life isn't threatened, but their job is threatened. We know of uh, bakers and florists and uh, photographers who are losing work, losing money, giving up their profession because they they can't work anymore, because uh, they're having lawsuits brought against them, and uh, uh, courts and judges are ruling against them. Hopefully, uh, the judgment uh, recently by the Supreme Court will begin to protect some of them, but... You can be sure that that our freedoms will continue to be eroded. That's just the way things are going, apart from some great revival. It's not going to get any better. But also, these trials can be petty annoyances, little things, a hundred little things that go wrong to test your patience and seemingly ruin your day so that that you're grumpy (laughs) and so that... uh, you're miserable and you're miserable to be with and you, you make other people sad because you're so grumpy and miserable because, well, Murphy's Law has been uh, fulfilled in your life. If something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And when it goes wrong, it's, oh, it's just another headache. Years ago, I uh, purchased my first home and my brother-in-law congratulated me on owning my first home. But he said to me, he says, now remember... When something goes wrong, it's a thousand dollars. And uh, time and time again, his prophecy was true. Uh, something goes wrong, and it's it's always more money out of pocket. Uh, uh, those petty annoyances they, they test our patience. They don't threaten our our life, but they certainly test our patience. And God is testing us in the big things, and He is testing us in the little things. And Peter again says, don't be surprised. In other words, don't fall into the trap of thinking that good people have easy lives and only really bad people have a difficult time. That's what the world expects. And when trouble comes to a worldly person, he's surprised and says, why me? Why is this happening to me? You and I shouldn't be surprised. We're told not to be surprised. And we know that that life is hard even for the righteous. In the Old Testament we read there was a man who was blameless and righteous. His name was Job. Was his life easy? Was his life a piece of cake? One glorious good news after another and one victory after another? He was righteous. He was blameless. And he was tested and made miserable so that he cursed the day of his birth. And then there was Jesus, 
sinless Jesus, loved Son of God, God loving Him with an infinite love, an eternal love. And His life was literally hell on earth. He descended into hell. And when did He descend into hell? What does the Catechism say about that? When did Christ ascend into hell? Through the suffering of His whole life. And especially on the cross. He was righteous. And His life was not easy. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you as though something strange were happening. If you're going to have victory in these things, you need to expect them. And you need to understand why God is is trying you and testing you. He's doing that because tests are a revelation. They reveal what's inside us. You know, when a, a teacher in school gives a test uh, to her students, the, uh, the test reveals what the students know. It reveals what's uh, inside their head. And, and the teacher gets to discover what they know. The teacher gets to discover what's inside them. But, you know, it's not just the teacher who gets to discover that. The parents get to discover what their children are learning in school when they see the test results. And when you get a little older in high school, then the the college entrance committee gets to see what's in your head. And most important of all, when you take a test and you see the results, you get a reality check for yourself. You get to see what you really know instead of what you just think you know. Tests are designed to reveal what's inside of us. God already knows what's inside of us. And so these tests are really for our benefit, to to teach you and me what's inside of us, to help us see. These learning experiences are supposed to help us see where we need to grow and to help us grow. Romans 3, verse 3 and 4 says, We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. These sufferings test us and they strengthen us and they make us better people. Peter says, Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These are to purify your faith. Gold has to go through the fire to burn out the dross, and your faith has to go through the fire of affliction to burn out the impurities so that your faith will be seen as something beautiful which will bring praise to Jesus who made it beautiful. James says in his epistle, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy when you suffer trials, so that your faith may be complete so that you may become perfect and complete. Now, it's concerning these trials that we are praying, asking God either to spare us from them or protect us in them, protect us from evil, for the evil or from the evil one, so that when they come, if they come, we do not fall 
uh, into sin because of them. Now be assured that God does lead us into circumstances where we can be tempted of the devil, the world, and our own evil nature. Not tempted of God, but led by God into situations where Satan attempts to tempt us. For example, take Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How did they get to that fiery furnace? Well, God led them. God led them out of Jerusalem to Babylon and uh, brought them to that foreign country. It was God who brought them there and put them there. And it was God who gave them exceptional gifts so that their gifts shone uh, before the king. And the king uh, promoted them to positions of power in the Susa, the capital, so that the, the Babylonians became envious of them and jealous of them and they began to hate them that these foreigners were holding the positions of power and authority in the capital city so that uh, the Babylonians uh, who were back passed over were looking for ways to discredit these uh, three men and get rid of them. It was God who put them in that position. It was also God who gave Nebuchadnezzar the idea for the statue. In the previous chapter, Nebuchadnezzar had that dream, you know, the dream of the statue made of four different kinds of metal, uh, the head of gold and the chest of bronze and, and so forth. And, uh, and Daniel said that statue represents four kingdoms, four successive kingdoms. Yours is the first king. King, you're the head of gold. Well, uh, the king was thought about that for a while and thought, you know, I don't like this idea that, that I'm just the head. I want to be the whole statue. I want my kingdom to last forever. And, and so he built the statue of his dream, but he made the whole thing of gold and said, now bow down and worship this that represents me and my kingdom because I'm going to do everything to make my kingdom last forever. He wanted to deify himself so that nothing could uh, ever stop him from being the greatest king the world has ever known. God put the idea for the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's head. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar perverted the idea, but nonetheless, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being told to, to bow down and worship a statue because God put them there and because God was responsible for the dream that gave Nebuchadnezzar the idea for the statue. God led them into these circumstances where they are being tempted to commit idolatry. Now, with the temptation, God provided a way of escape so that they could stand up under it. And they, they stood up under that temptation. They didn't fall. But nonetheless, God put them there. And they were delivered from evil. Like the prayer says, if, if you do lead us, then don't let us fall into sin. Let me give you another example of being led into temptation. How did the disciples get into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was arrested? Did they part with Jesus after the Last Supper and go their separate ways? And, oh, just by chance, they all ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And lo and behold, Jesus is there too. And, and then the soldiers come. No, Jesus led them there. Jesus led them there, and Jesus led them there knowing 
that they would be tempted to betray Jesus, to deny him. He warned them. He says, tonight the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered and, and you will all deny me. Deny me by running away. Running away like, like scared chickens. He warned them. And Peter said, oh, others may deny you. I'll never deny you. They were warned. God provided a way of escape when they got to the garden. Jesus said, pray. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. But they didn't. But God led them there. And when they, they fell into temptation, it wasn't because God tempted them with evil, but God did put them in the place where Satan tempted them and they fell. God does lead providentially, putting us in places. Now, if these tests of God are for our good, if they're meant by God to strengthen our faith, if they're supposed to result in, in glory and honor for Jesus Christ, if God always provides a way of escape so that we can stand up under them, is it right to pray? Don't lead us there. <laughs> don't lead us there, God. I don't want to go there. You know? Lead us not into temptation. Well, it would be wrong if it weren't for the second half of that petition. But deliver us from evil. For what we're saying there is not just deliver us from circumstances where we might sin, where because of our weakness we uh, left to our own resources we would always fall into sin. But especially, God, if we are to go in those circumstances, deliver us from evil. For the greatest evil is not the circumstances by which we might be tempted. The greatest evil is that we would fall under those circumstances, that we would fall into sin. And so the greatest thing is, Lord, deliver me. But, but if not, if not, then deliver me, deliver me say, uh, lead me not. But if, if you will lead me, then deliver me from the power of the evil one. That's basically what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are are doing there in, in Daniel chapter 3. You know, they say to the king, our God is able to deliver us. Our God is able to deliver us. They're, they're confident that God can do it. They're not sure if God will do it. But you can be sure that, that they were praying to be delivered from the fiery furnace. How can we be sure? It doesn't say they were praying, but a couple of hundred years before this, the psalmist Asaph, who was a contemporary of King David, prayed in Psalm 51, 50, verse 15. Uh, the psalm is God speaking, and God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. Call upon me in the day of trouble. When you get in trouble, you call. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm there. They knew the psalms. They knew that when you were in trouble, you, you call out to the king. You remember, uh, uh, I think it's Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, you know. He's all in distress because of reports from, from Jerusalem that the city walls are in ruin. And the king asks, why is your face downcast? And it says, I prayed and I answered to the king. 
Now, he didn't pray out loud. He, he said a quick prayer in his heart. He was, it, it was crunch time, you know. Being sad in the presence of king could cost him his job. It could cost him his life if he's imposing his problems on the king. That could get you in big trouble. You weren't supposed to bring your personal life uh, into the presence of the king. You're supposed to serve him. and he, It was all about him. It wasn't about you. And so he has to uh, quick utter a prayer. Uh, God, this, this could be curtains for me. <laughs> you know, if, if, he, if you don't turn his heart, the king's heart is in the hands of God and he turns it, you know. If you don't turn his heart in my favor, I'm lost. And so he prays. He's in trouble, so he prays. A quick pr- silent prayer just before he answers the king. Well, these guys are praying too. You can be sure of it. They're praying, Lord, deliver us. But they don't, they don't demand it. They don't demand it. They, they know that God is there. They know that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is merciful. They know that they're supposed to cry out. So they're, they're hoping that God will deliver them. But they say, but if not, but if not, no king, we're not going to commit idolatry. We're not going to sin. We're determined not to sin. That's the main thing. Even if the Lord puts us in the fiery furnace, if He leads us even there, if we die in the flames, we're not going to sin because that would be evil. That would be wrong. You know, uh, uh, there are examples of prayers like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, one of them is Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. God, don't lead me into riches. Because if you lead me into riches, I may forget you. And don't make me poor. Because if I'm poor, I may be give in to the temptation of the devil to, to steal. He's praying, God, don't lead me into temptation. Don't lead me into circumstances where my faith will be tested and tried. That's what he's praying there. He's praying the petition of the Lord's Prayer just in his own words in a a specific situation. You know, everybody who came to Jesus with a sickness or with a sick relative or with a dead daughter asking Jesus to help is asking to be released from a fiery trial in which they are being tempted to despair in which they are being tempted to be like Job's wife who wanted to shake her fist at God and curse God because of illness. These people were coming to be set free from the circumstances that would tempt them to give in to despair and to hopelessness. And Jesus, for the most part, gave them what they wanted. He delivered them from those circumstances. He led them not into temptation. He gave them health and and peace and safety that they were looking for so that their their life would be calm and, and normal, so to speak. Even Jesus prayed, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. When did he do that? Well, he did it in the garden. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Don't lead me into the cross where 
where I'm going to suffer and, and die. But not my will, your will. Don't, above all, even if you do lead me to the cross, don't let me contradict your will. Don't let me sin. Don't let me fall into sin. That's what he's praying when he prays, let this cap pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. It's not, we're not to be sadists or masochists who enjoy pain and say, God, pour out the pain. Give me all the pain you want, God. Let it pour down on me so because I know how, how beneficial it will be and how much glory to bring to you. Well, then we don't have to pray that way. But we do pray, Lord, lead us not into those circumstances where our, we may sin because of our weakness. But if, if you do lead us, then deliver us from the evil one. It's perfectly legitimate to ask God not to lead you into pain and suffering because pain and suffering is not the main thing. Doing evil is the main thing. Pain and suffering can't separate from you from the love of God. In fact, they are designed to do the opposite. But giving in to sin, giving in to sin and temptation, that can cause you to miss the love of God Entirely, sin and evil are the main thing to be avoided. Now, Satan wants us to fall in these temptations, in these circumstances. Satan works very hard to make every good test of God a trap. And whether it, it ends up being a test or a trap depends on you, whether you avail yourself of, of the grace that God gives and the help that God gives. When you neglect your duty which first and foremost is to pray this prayer, or prayers like it. When you neglect your duty, he allows you to fall so that you learn how much you need him. King David learned that idle hands are the devil's playground. You know, Second Samuel chapter 11 begins in the spring of the year when kings go out to war. David was not out to war. He was home indulging himself, sitting up on his roof, gazing at his neighbors, taking baths and such. Uh, uh, he should have been in the spring of the year out on the battlefield fighting the Lord's battles, but he was negligent in his duty and he fell into sin. At the Last Supper, Jesus warned the disciples. They discounted the warning. Peter said, others may deny you, but I will never deny you. And in one of the Gospels it says, and they all said the same thing. They all said the same thing. We'll never deny you. They didn't heed the warning. And then when they got to the garden and they were told to pray so that they wouldn't fall into temptation, they fell asleep. They didn't pray. They didn't, they didn't avail themselves of, of, the, of the means of grace by which they could stand up under that temptation. They discounted the warning, they failed to pray, and so they fell into sin. We say in the catechism by ourselves, we are too weak to hold up, hold our own, even for a moment. Our first line of defense in fighting against Satan and temptation is prayer. This petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we can only pass God's test if we cry out to Him in prayer, asking Him for help. We're asking for the grace of the Holy Spirit working through the Word to empower us to resist evil and to persevere in faith. 
Catechism says, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in the spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies. You can find prayers like that in the Old Testament. Psalm 19, verse 12, it says, Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Or Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Or Psalm 119, verse 133. Direct my footsteps. Direct my footsteps. Let not sin rule over me. Don't lead me to the place where sin might rule over me. Now God answers our prayer by giving us strength. But it's important how you, that you understand how He gives you strength. You know, you go to a, a Pentecostal church and they say, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit. And when you get zapped with the Holy Spirit, why, there's this electrical charge that goes through your body and all of a sudden, you're strong. You know? Now I'm strong. I prayed for strength and, and I waited and I waited and I, I felt the tingle and now I'm strong. No. That, that's not how God strengthens us. He strengthens us through the promises of the gospel. He strengthens us through His Word. He strengthens us by assuring us that He loves us. He shows us Christ going to the cross, dying for us. And He says now, if I have not withheld my Son, my only Son whom I love, how will I not also give you everything that you need? You can trust me. You don't need to be afraid of those who can kill the body. Because there's nothing in life, there's nothing in death that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Your death can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The death of your husband, the death of your wife, the death of your child, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Death is a grievous trial to go through. Indeed, when a loved one dies, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. But we don't need to be afraid because in Jesus Christ we have victory over death. Even our children... <laughs> We'll have victory over death. As the canons of Dort say, we ought not to doubt concerning our children who die in infancy. We ought not to doubt their election and salvation. We ought not to doubt their resurrection. We ought not to doubt, as David said, that even though they won't come to us, we will go to be with him, with them. God, in the end, is going to make everything right. He's going to make everything new. So no matter how, how terrible your situation is, no matter how hard evil is pressing down upon you, no matter how great the temptation, there's always this bright ray of hope and joy and light that is leading us forward as we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ who has gone before, who for the joy that was set before Him was able to endure the cross. And the gospel promises us joy. Joy when this life is over. Joy when Christ comes, when the fullness of our inheritance comes. A joy inexpressible and full of glory. A joy where God Himself will come and wipe every tear from our eyes.
and we will rejoice with him forever in ever-increasing joy and glory. And, and when, when you believe the promises, when you believe the promises of the gospel, you're strengthened. You know that, that when you pass through the fire, you won't be consumed because he'll be there with you. In fact, he went through the fires. He went through hell all his life, and especially on the cross, he went through hell so that you would be delivered from hell, so that you would never have to go there, so that everything would turn out well for you. Believe that, and you can face anything. You needn't be afraid of whatever evil is threatened, you know, uh, The world threatens you with imprisonment. The world threatens you with the loss of your employment. The world may threaten you with martyrdom. I will not be afraid, for God is with me. He's watching over me. He's taking care of me. And He's going to make sure that it all comes out good in the end. And so much more than just good. It's going to come out glorious. You know, we don't understand fully why we have to go through all the evil of the world. We don't know why God ordained a world in which there is evil, but we know we know we have a Father. A Father who is in heaven, a heavenly Father who loves us, who proved His love for us by sending His Son to die for us and promising to give us everything else that we need and promises that nothing can separate us from His love. And therefore... Even though I don't have exhaustive knowledge to understand all his providence and all the, the things that happen, I have true knowledge that I can hold on to through anything and everything that Satan and the world and, and my own nature may throw at me. I have something firm and sure, the hope that will be revealed when Christ comes again, the fullness of our salvation. I hold on to that. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, like Christ, set our heart, our focus on the joy that is set before us. And we endure the cross that we have to bear, knowing that he will see us through. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he endured fiery trials, even hell itself, to deliver us from them. And therefore, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, so that we can be sure that you will never let us go and uh, will always uh, bear us up. If we must go through the fire, you will be with us and you will enable us to bear up under it. And, uh, and come through it for your honor and glory. Deliver us, O oh Father, from evil in this life and deliver us from evil ultimately by bringing us into the fullness of your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.